If God was in Christ reconciling the world, and in his death on the cross, he drew all men to himself, then in him all men met God, and God met all men in Christ, in that one action. Today we look at the cross on In the Shadow of the Cross. In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I am here with Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. Cheers. <laughs> and uh, good to see you guys again. Um, and uh, to, today I had some thoughts on, on what would be good to talk about. Um, I'm a huge Simpsons fan, and uh, especially the old episodes, like when Conan O'Brien was one of the writers. Those, those were the good ones. And uh, there was an episode where Bart and uh, Homer are getting ready to go to church and um, Homer and Bart have their Sunday best on and Bart does his usual maniac kind of stuff. And Homer says, must not kill only son. And uh, <laughs> Bart responds, only God can do that. <laughs> and and I, I thought to myself, you know, once again, The Simpsons hit some truth in our issues that we have in our in our Christianity. And and so I thought that tonight it would be really cool to talk about the cross, especially since, and this is one of the things I love about this podcast, is I have two people here who not only do I deeply respect, but if I were speaking on my own, and I've shared this with you guys, that I would... I would often just be quoting things or referring to things that you guys have taught me over the years and poured into my life. And that's the thing I love in this podcast is I don't have to sit here and go, my friend Jim Durkin used to say this, Michael Harden in his book, The Jesus Driven Life says this, Michael Harden says this in The Jesus Driven Life. I'm able to just go, take it away, guys. And so um, <laughs> I wanted to share this one little tidbit before I toss it over to you guys is that, you know, the our view of the cross, and the reason this is important to me, is it really matters, um, not just in the sense of eternal life and things like that, but also that um, I watched for years, my mom grew up in an extremely religious household, and her view of the Father um, was kind of similar to the one we just heard on The Simpsons, where it wasn't a very endearing view, and it made her suffer for so much of her life. She had a, and I don't even say this mockingly, um, she had a view of God like an alcoholic view of, you know, like an alcoholic father where um, she loved him and hated him at the same time because he wasn't a safe, endearing person to be with, but you had to keep him happy. Um, but you didn't know where you stood with him, if he liked you or whatever. And, and so much of that came from that view of God being a God of wrath who just had to pour his anger out on somebody. And Jesus said, you know, take it out on me, dad. And he said, okay. And he took it out on his son. And, and so for me, just seeing the suffering she went through. And then for years, I grew up actually until I met you, Jim, um, with a, with a view that, um, it led to a lot of guilt and shame in my life. And, um, it was kind of like a, you guys know the soup Nazi, on, uh, on Seinfeld, where it's like, no soup for you. Um, I would do something wrong or, or something that, you know, uh, just 
wasn't wise or whatever. And I would, and it would be like, no joy for you, you know, and I had to go away and punish myself for a while until I, I felt like, okay, I could get back into God's good graces. And, and so people who don't have that endearing view of the father, it really leads to a life of suffering and torture. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because it's about helping people find peace and freedom. Unfortunately, I didn't learn all this and get unwound from a lot of this. And then, Michael, I didn't get a hold of your book, uh, The Jesus Driven Life, until after my mom had already passed. And I so wished I could go back and talk to her and save her from years of suffering. So I'm just going to throw the football out there and whoever catches it, take off with it. I think it's interesting that um, we can intellectually or perhaps religiously even uh, though it's not the right answer, but we can give the answer, well, God is not angry with me. God has no wrath to pour out on me because he poured it out on Jesus. And so we, we, we make those kind of stupid decorations, and yet we live, like you were talking about, as if he still has a lot of wrath like he gathered you know the what dripped off of jesus onto the ground he gathered that back up and now he's ready just to like hit me with lightning bolts you know and and it, it's uh the whole concept of god's wrath um is so perverted it's so twisted that we can take uh the the most well-known scripture in all of the Bible, John 3.16, and that starts out, for God so loved, and twists that thing. So loved, but he's still pretty upset with most people, including me, every time I screw up. And it's just, so I think tonight's conversation I think it's going to do a lot to kind of untangle some of that mixture that religion has thrown into this thing and take a, a, another whole look at uh, what really happened on the cross. And it, it's not what most of us were taught. And a couple of us taught. <laughs> right. I was even thinking about that before we went into this. I'm like, I, I preached this, that message as a youth pastor. I even led people to Jesus on the street, um, you know, sure. handing out tracts with that same message. And, uh, and, and so it, it is like the, the mainstream message. But, um, but man, I'll tell you, um, the unwinding you're talking about, uh, I'm a much happier person since, uh, since getting unwound from that. And I, and I guess, let me just pick up one more thought that you, you just made. I guess part of the, uh, the issue at hand is that fear can be a pretty good motivator. And, and so when you talk about evangelism, on, being on the street, it, there is a kind of an overview that the whole world has you know, if, if they see six, the number 666, they're like, oh my God, you know. Uh, you know, if they hear the word ap apocalypse, it's like, oh, I know what that's all about, you know. And, and, and so at one moment in time when emotions are really stirred and you're talking about eternity and what that 
looks like if you haven't prayed a, a certain prayer or something. And then you talk about God pouring out his wrath on Jesus and, and propitiation and, and all of that. In that one emotional moment, it seems like it's working. And I think that's one of the reasons why evangelistic people keep using that tool. It's like, well, I only get one saved a year, but it, it, it's working. At least that one I got saved. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, but if you knew the gospel, you might have a whole lot better uh, tools and a lot more effect. Michael, I'm interested in hearing wh uh, what you're ready to kick off there with. <clears throat> I've made eight points. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I can tell you're like the kicker at the football game, taking the steps back, getting ready to, to kick that thing. So I'm just like watching you wind up. I, I'm so eager. <laughs> Let's go. No, I, I, I'm afraid I'm that quarterback that can really scramble and mess up a defense and throw all kinds of balls. I, that's. The, but anyway, so... Um, as you know, Lauren, I've spent my entire life on this topic. My book, The Jesus Driven Life, dealt with this issue. My book, Knowing God, put the whole thing straight up, forefront right there in, in the beginning. My work with Sherard, my medic theory, uh, has, uh, has been profoundly influenced by this. And my PhD dissertation is on the epistemology of the cross. That is that the cross gives us a ground, a place to stand that is outside the, the typical sacrificial intellectual framework. So I have a lot of points to make. First of all, I want to acknowledge Christianity is a sacrificial religion. It is not the gospel. The gospel is very different than what the church preaches. The gospel is non-sacrificial. The, the gospel is about a, a father who does not require sacrifice or, or need sacrifice. Um, this is this gets messed up in Christianity for a number of reasons. One of which it views the Bible in a flat manner. Two, it assumes that there's a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, rather than recognizing the line doesn't run between the testaments; it runs through them. The distinction is between religion, which runs through both testaments, and revelation, which runs through both testaments. So there's a lot of hermeneutical shifts that a person would need to make. But here's the thing: Jim pointed out there's an emotional moment where it seems to be working because when we introduce people to Jesus, what we're saying is the God that you're afraid of, this, this, this alcoholic God in the sky, well, he really will love you if you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then you're okay. It's your fire escape insurance. So, so that's the first thing. The second, penal substitution, and most people, you know, uh, either don't know this or aren't willing to recognize it, does not come from Holy Scripture. It actually comes from uh, John Calvin and especially later Calvinism. This is not a major point in Calvin's theology, but it's certainly a point in later Calvinism that God poured his wrath out on Jesus. There is not a text in the New Testament that you can interpret to suggest that. Psalm 22, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, does not need to be read that way. Jesus only ever calls God Abba. In the New Testament, he calls God Abba several times from the cross. He's not going to deviate from that. So what's he doing? At that point, he's citing a psalm about scapegoating. He's trying to show his interlocutors what they're doing. They're scapegoating him. And there's no mention of vengeance at the end of Psalm 22, but there is an asking of God for vindication. 
That's number one. Number two, you got a text like Second Corinthians chapter five, where uh, Paul says, "God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them." God is not a record keeper. God does not have a ledger. And then so this, some might come along and say, well, yeah, he wasn't counting our trespasses against us. He was putting them on Jesus. Well, I go to then to immediately to verse 21. But for our sake, I'm, I'm going to read from the New English Bible here because it's incorrect. It's a very bad translation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Some translations read, for God made him to, to be sin. The Greek term theos doesn't appear in the text. It's just, for our sake, he was determined to be sin. Well, in the Passion narrative, who determines Jesus to be a sinner? The religious and political authorities, the crowds, the mob, okay? It's not the Father who determines Jesus to be a sinner. So I'm, I'm just pointing out, I can go text after text after text after text in the New Testament that's been interpreted sacrificially and say, wait a second. There is a gospel way to, to understand these texts non-sacrificially. Um, Jim pointed out that fear is an, a, a motivator. If your gospel is based upon fear, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is based upon the love of the Father. The gospel message is the Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father has reconciled you to, to, to God's self. The Father recognizes that, yes, you sin, yes, you're a sinner, and you're still accepted in the Beloved. Um, I would also point out that, that we need to get back in Christianity to an authentic Theologia Crucis, that wonderful Latin phrase uh, that Luther used in 1518 in the Heidelberg Disputation, a theology of the cross, that God is revealed completely and fully in the cross. Not in the miracles of Jesus, not in his life, not in the things, but but in the cross, in this deepest humiliation, in this in this in this abyss of dying, the Father's love is revealed. Father, forgive them; they don't know what they're doing. Man, that is that is beautiful, and there is so much there to unpack. Um, first of all, I want to uh, with the last thing you just said there, Michael. I remember you one time saying. That if your gospel can't be preached at the gates of Auschwitz, you don't have the gospel. That's and right. That has always stuck with me, and I think that's a powerful statement. the The other thing I want to go back to was you mentioned you you mentioned the psalm that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, when you shared that that was what Jesus was quoting on the cross, that set me free years ago when I first read that in your book. Because that was the big, um, how would you put it? That was the, the 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 kind of the big mystery of like, but wait a minute, God forsook Jesus on the cross. So you know this this um, thing of God having turned His back on His Son has to be has to be true because Jesus is crying out, and that was the big way we explained it. You know, was Jesus cries out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Because in that moment, that's right when God put all the sin on Jesus, and He couldn't look at Jesus anymore. Um, can you can you clarify that? Sure. So 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 here's the bottom line. And and the Johannine author, the the author of the fourth gospel, and the letters of John, would be having a stroke right now, because for the writer of the fourth gospel, it is the Trinity that's revealed at the cross. The love of the Father, 
the gift of the son, and then in the in the stabbing and the pouring out of the water and the blood, in the that that is a Johannine reference to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at the cross. The, that is the Holy Spirit's flow is always cruciform. It's always from the cross. So the Johannine author would have fits at this because what what that theory does, what that way of looking at God does, is it turns that God into all the other gods. It, wow. it destroys the doctrine of the Trinity. It says there was a time, there was a time where the Father and the Son weren't one. Wow. <laughs> and once you do that, <clears throat> you have <clears throat> you have absolutely ruined any ability to understand the cross, which is the revelation of the Trinitarian God. Now, this is the first time I've ever heard that about the about the spirit and the water. Well, yeah, you can go. I mean, I've got my my videos on the Gospel of John online. You go look at the one on John seven thirty seven to thirty nine, which is a beautiful text. Jesus on the last, the greatest day of the feast. Yada yada yada. That that text, um, where uh, it reads, uh, "If anyone believes in me, let him come to me, and out of his." Uh, belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he said concerning the Spirit, but the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And glorified, doxazo in the Gospel of John refers to the cross, just like hupsao, to lift up or to exalt. So that text is giving us, a, it's a beautiful text, and it's giving us all these indicators of this cruciform victim. That is, the Father comes to us as the victim as the one we hate, as the one we destroy. This is why the Eucharist is so huge in the Gospel of John, in the breaking of bread. When we go to break bread in the Eucharist, we are killing Jesus. We are killing him. We're doing a collective murder again. It's, this, is, this is as old as time. This is the original scapegoat mechanism. This is mythology. We're still participating in, in it today as groups. You know, and so, so for for to understand the character of God, you have to understand what's really happening at the cross. And if you fail there, everything else is gone. Wow, I'm <laughs> I'm sitting here in awe because I'm still pondering that the the spirit being released at the cross when Jesus is is murdered. That's the Johannine Pentecost. That is that is beautiful. I mean, yeah. I mean the the whole thing of the, the we've we've been like you said the, the way I was raised is is we would separate God and this you see the Trinity in the cross all yes. all acting together yes. in the death of Christ embodied yeah. in Christ yes man that's wonderful yeah yeah I, I was I was thinking uh, just a, a minute ago about the uh, same scripture that you quoted uh, Michael. Uh, <clears throat> that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an impossibility to be in him while at the same time forsaking him. That's <laughs> exactly right, right here. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and which brings up another point. We only see what our paradigm allows us to see. We can read through the Bible every year for 50 years and still come up with the exact same conclusion yes. that is drawn from 
a handful of very selectively picked scriptures. Yep. Ignoring all the rest of them. Yep. And it, it just blows my mind. Like, well, what do you think that scripture means? Well, I don't know, but I do know the Bible says that God forsook Jesus at the cross. Well, why do you think he did that? Well, because God is perfect and holy and he can't look at sin. And it's like, and where do you get that? <laughs> well, exactly. They, the, 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 the people yeah. that think that way have, don't have a leg to stand on except for what their Calvinist evangelical fundamentalist tradition has given them. But they cannot exegete texts. I, I find it interesting uh, that your research uh, opens up uh, that those who claim to be, uh, you know, free choice, Arminian in, in their philosophy, much of their doctrine is Calvinist. Well, the, yeah, you're going to find that everywhere. And in fact, yeah. um, the Lutherans, uh, good, the good Lutheran theologians have for a long time to complain that most Lutheran sermons in churches are these beautiful expositions of a doctrine of justification by faith with a semi-Pelagian ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, but, but this is what happens when you mix law and gospel. It starts in the early church with the Jerusalem church. Paul, the Johannine community, they break free from that. You know, it, go, it carries on in the second century with the uh, second century church fighting over the Old Testament scriptures with Judaism. It goes on into the third century with the influence of lawyers like Tertullian bringing Roman civil law into the category of discipleship or Christian discipline. I mean, you take it to Augustine 100 years, 100, well, 200 years later, and we know what happens with Augustine, even though he is the theologian, the preeminent theologian of grace in all of church history, except for Karl Barth, maybe. Augustine still has a place for the law. Calvin has a place for the law. I mean, and so wherever you have that in Christianity, and evangelical Protestantism is that, and by the way, don't the progressives and the liberals don't get to escape this. <clears throat> they may say, well, we don't like what the evangelical fundamentalist law is, but we're going to make our own law, and then you get into all the political correctness and all the nonsense that's going on today. So they're not free from this. A real law-free gospel is a threat to the church. It's a threat to Christendom, because the only way pastors can keep congregants under their thumb, keep them tithing, keep their pocketbooks intact, is to preach law. You preach grace, you're setting people free from even tithing or giving. And believe me, ministers don't want to do that, and their wives don't want them to do that. <laughs> so just to clarify, Michael, if uh, Jesus isn't God's sacrifice, Whose sacrifice is he? He's ours. We are the ones that sacrifice him because we are the ones that think God needs a sacrifice. Wow. And so that's he's why the, you're saying, oh, go ahead. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That's the epistle to the Hebrews. Wow. So yeah. so then that's why you're saying when when, uh, when we take the Eucharist communion, um, for those of us Protestants out there, um, it, it's... Uh, when you're breaking the bread, it's you're declaring that you are the one you're you're the one who who crushed and broke Jesus. 
Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is, yes, I was. Oh, it makes me trouble. Well, if you were there, it wasn't just because your sins were being put on arms, because you did what the soldiers did. You did what the Pharisees did. You did what the crowd did. You betrayed, you abandoned, you denied, you crucified, you know, whatever. Whatever. You did this. If you, if, and, and, our, and the thing is, we're, we're so silly enough to go, well, I, I really didn't. If Jesus was there, I would do it. But here's the deal. You do it to people in your daily life. You do it to people in your family system. You do it to people on the job. You do it to people in your church. You're still scapegoating. It's proof that if Jesus were here, you'd do it. And he came to get you to stop that behavior, to show you it doesn't work. And what, what makes Jesus the end of all sacrifices is that he's a failed sacrifice. He doesn't. So his death doesn't solve the problem uh, of the crises in Judaism. And 30-something years after his death, Jerusalem is destroyed. He's a failed sacrifice. It wow. didn't work. So, so the idea, expand on that. So the idea is supposed to be we sacrifice someone, we scapegoat someone, which I love that you brought that out because the whole thing, like you said, we do it every day in our lives, you know, um, picking on different people. And he's he's supposed to now be our scapegoat. And that's so that's the transformation is I'm not supposed to scapegoat people anymore. Is right. life should be changing me. So right. so but you're saying so other sacrifices, what would be counted as a successful sacrifice then? A, a successful sacrifice is when a group unanimously agrees somebody's the problem and they get rid of the person and they have a little temporary peace afterwards that sacrifice completed its function it allowed the group to take out its total hostility on one victim experience peace and go oh well now we're all good that's that's a successful sacrifice then we create a myth about it and we say well you see we really were justified in getting rid of this person and ever since they were kicked out or they left, everything's been happy clappy. Right? Here's the yeah. thing. The resurrection is God's way of saying a great big to this <laughs> mechanism. Okay? And um, it's, it's God's way of saying, I'm going to show you this mechanism is an utter failure. Well, it's taken 2,000 years of gospel influence, but think about this. In the 20th century, have we not been the one century where all of a sudden every victim's voice counts? First with the Holocaust, then African Americans, then others, then the anti-colonial mentality and feminism and women. And, and, and so we're at this place now where every single type of marginalized group exists and everybody's claiming victimage status these days. And it's the in thing to be a victim because nobody wants to be the persecutor. To be a Christian is to say, I'm a persecutor. Because mm. anybody can be a victim. Nietzsche saw this 120 years ago. He prophesied this. And I don't know if you know what furries are. Yeah. Kids, kids that think they're friggin' animals in school. <laughs> yeah. and this to me is, and, and you can't say anything. You can't say anything because that's politically incorrect. I, I just want to say what this is, is this is social disintegration to such a level that, that even our children, even our children are participating in this. 
it's just it's absolute insanity absolute nonsense out there in terms of 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 this anyway that's my two cents worth <laughs> so what's interesting though is is how you were talking about with the um with the cross um exposing the scapegoat mechanism yes it, so it, it adds a whole new weight to jesus's whole ministry before where he's talking to us about love one another i pray that they all be one and all those things so it's like this is kind of the grand finale then of like yeah. this is what i'm driving you to to draw about, that whole thing how about if anybody wants to be my disciple they have to take up the cross daily oh 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 what does that mean that means if i'm going to follow jesus I gotta suffer. So if anything goes wrong in my day, I'm just, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm bearing the cross of Christ. I'm bearing that the asshole. Cross. That, excuse me, that idiot that just pulled in front of me. I'm <laughs> carrying the cross. You know, got to go home to the cranky spouse. Carrying the cross. Got to deal with the frustrated boss. Carrying the cross. No, no, this has nothing to do with anything. The cross is about forgiveness. The cross is the express declaration: "You hurt me. I forgive you." Wow. That's the cross. And oh, if wow. you want to follow Jesus, it means anytime somebody hurts you, you say, I forgive you. Oh, now if I'm supposed to be a disciple and carry the cross every day, and that means I got to forgive people. I have a question, Jesus. How many times? Is seven good? <laughs> right. You know, and so and so the the thing is we've 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 turned this saying of this little saying about following Jesus and carrying the cross into thinking that Jesus valorizes suffering, you know. No, the Father doesn't valorize suffering. Jesus doesn't want us to suffer. Suffering doesn't belong in in in, in love, but love does suffer. And right. it forgives. Yeah. It says, I'm gonna start over with you. Oh, I gotta start over with you twice today? Not a problem. Third time today, man, I'm starting over with you. Holy cow, dude. You kidding me? This is four times today. I'm forgiving you. Starting over with you. Five? Five? Are you nuts? Okay, okay. Fifth time, fifth time. Six? What's going on? You know, and this is how we do instead of just recognizing that this is how the Father relates to us all day long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One thing uh, in my life where this hit rubber met the road was is a teacher, um, you know, because it's easy forgive the people who are throwing rocks at me, you know, and stoning me. But, but as a teacher, you know, you get those students who are belligerent and they, they, they say things that hurt. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I found is the one in authority in the classroom, I could get the last word in, you know, so I could, <laughs> I could get the little punch in there. And, yeah. and the spirit kind of called me out and went, that's you being vengeful. And, and you could justify it as a teacher, but that's you yeah. getting your revenge. Yeah. And so what I'm having to learn. I'm not there yet. <laughs> what I'm having to learn, and he still calls me out once in a while on it, is is that's my cross, is forgive him. He said that word, don't say anything. And sometimes I'll catch myself still saying that. Oh, that's such a perfect dig right there, you know? No, let it go. Step away. And so that's what you're talking about, is the reality yeah. of this, is, this, this hits home of like, oh, yeah. don't take that shot that vengeful, vengeful move, forgive them. That's right. That's right. Well, and I think, I think um, that goes into, uh, obviously, the whole message of Christ, uh, the, the constant uh, turn the other cheek, walks the extra mile, 
you know, pray for those that persecute you, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But when he goes to the cross and he looks at the people that are killing him and he says, Lord, I want you to forgive them. Mm -hmm. They really don't even know what they're doing. But I don't think that's the key focus point. They don't know what they're doing. The key focus point is, Father, forgive them. And, and, and he reaches out and he says, look, if you guys can get this, I'm giving you right here from the greatest suffering anybody can go through, I'm giving you an example here. And I'm saying that you can say, regardless of what's happening, forgive them. You can say, here's my other cheek. You can say, you know what? We're having such good fellowship here. I think I'm going to walk this second mile with you. And that becomes your, that becomes your final word. You, you get the final word in the very action of forgiveness rather Whoa. than uh, the sarcastic final word that you could think of to, <laughs> right. you know, to retort, you know. And, and I'm thinking of um, David. Uh, I remember there's a, a, one of the prophets that says something very similar. But David, where he said, you know, sacrifices and offerings you would not. But a broken and a contrite spirit, you're not going to reject that. Psalm 51, and, and, Psalm 40. We, we read that, and we're like, well, yeah, that was in that moment in time when God was going for something deeper in David's heart. He was going for repentance for because he was the king, and he had sinned so grievously that God was saying in that moment, hey, I don't want you to bring me, a, 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 you know, a ram or a bull or, a, you know, or two turtle doves, you know, and a partridge in a pear tree. I, you know, I, I want your heart. And it's like, no, that wasn't what was happening in that moment. In that moment, David was making a declaration, really, I believe, to every generation mm -hmm. that God's not after sacrifices and offerings. That's not what he's after. He's after a, a broken heart towards him. And... Mm -hmm more than just towards him, towards all of humanity, because mm -hmm. that is the very heart of God himself. Mm -hmm. Jim, I'm a, uh, just a curious question. You sure. just uh, made, um, I, I don't know the exact quote, but something having to do with the second part of the saying in Luke 23, 32, uh, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and the emphasis was on the Father, forgive them. But there's something really important in that second part, if I may, and that's this. Um, 2,000 years before Freud, this is the first literary text ever to allude to the non-conscious. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And in my work on that text, I have suggested what allowed Jesus that kind of forgiveness was because he separated their intention from their action. Mm -hmm. And he said, if they were in their right mind, they wouldn't be doing this. If they knew who I was and you were, they wouldn't be doing this. But they're possessed. They're possessed by this violent mimetic spirit, also called Satan. And um, 
And so, because they are not, they are not responsible. This is really key. They are not responsible. Jesus just takes away all responsibility and puts the blame squarely where it goes on the non-conscious effects of, of the mob. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Wow. I, I, I think it's interesting that just a few days before, a week before, the mob is yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Right. A few days before, they're yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I remember years ago, my father gave, uh, was teaching on that. And he was saying, you know, the very uh, song that y you quoted, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's people today that would say, you know, if I was there, <laughs> I would raise my voice and say, no, the man's innocent, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and he says, no, no, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. It's very possible that the man who was let down through the roof, the man at, at the pool of Shalom, the blind man, the ten lepers, were all in that crowd yelling, crucify him. That's right. That's right. You know? That's right. And so what you're saying is really true. It is uh, actually, uh, Scripture tells us that now we've come to a sound mind. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's the work of the cross. That's right. The work of the cross redeems our mind so that we're, we're no longer acting out of this insanity. That's right. Well, and you you even see it, I mean, just on a daily basis of, you know, uh, you look at the Hollywood celebrity scene, you know, they'll, they'll be the great and mighty star, everyone's singing their praises, you know, and then they screw up somehow, and all of a sudden, you know, they're the demon, and they're the worst thing that, you know, Charlie Sheen made Platoon, greatest thing that ever walked the earth, oh, he's a great actor, he's amazing, give him an Oscar, you know, and then while Charlie Sheen's insane, he's crazy, throw him away, cancel all his shows, you know, and, and oh, yeah. so it, we think we wouldn't be part of that crowd, and yet we were, <laughs> I was, <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Kardashians, and I can join in the scapegoating of them as easy as anybody else, right? I mean, I recognize it in myself. It's like, these are people that don't add a drop of anything good to humanity, and I just want to go cancel them. And then i got to go, wait a second, Michael, that isn't your place. That isn't your place. You can't say what they're adding or what they're not adding. That isn't your, that's not your place. Don't yeah. judge. With the measure you judge, with the measure you judge, you're going to be judged, Jack. Oh, so boy. I'm trying to make my measure small, you know. That doesn't apply to celebrities, though, does it? I mean, it, they're just on well, the screen. Look, so, here's the thing. so if you're an anthropologist, if you're an anthropologist and you recognize the role that kings played in the early sacrificial cults and how the kings were sacrificed and then eventually they would take over the mechanism, celebrities are just modern kings and queens. Wow. We set them up in order to knock them down. Look at Kanye. Wow. Holy cow. You want an idol that's toppled? Now, everybody and their brother can say it's what he said. It's what he tweeted. No, 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 no. Kanye is just symptomatic of the he's – the, he's a symptom. We're the disease, right? But for those of us that aren't a Kanye fan, ye, Kanye, Kanye, I don't know. 
it's like good you know you right. cared about that in the first place right so you know uh, and we're scapegoating today on a national level when we vote that's true yes the whole absolutely. voting process is a scapegoating phenomenon it, it arises from the victimage mechanism yeah you know a lot of wow. our modern social institutions come all of them come right out of victimage sure. that's wow. why we need superheroes <clears throat> when you're at the movie theater and you notice how you go through seasons with so in the 80s we didn't have marvel we had star wars yay right <laughs> and then in the 90s in the 90s we had the action figures bruce willis uh, sylvester stallone arnold schwarzenegger those were the superheroes right yes and then the early 2000s came marvel comics and the lord of the rings yeah I mean, we we are culturally unaware that that our whole existence revolves around those that we, when when they fall, we can go, oh, how the mighty have fallen, and, and, and indulge in a little Schadenfreude. Right. Wow. And, and and I like also Jim when when you were talking earlier, you um you did something very disturbing. You humanized Jesus on the cross. Oh you, my! You, you said that you said that through his great suffering, we see that we can forgive while we're suffering. I don't like that, Jim, because I want to say he's God. I'm man, so therefore he had something special and something that that you know that he could do because he's God. But but he's not supposed to be my example in that. You know, I'm I'm not supposed to go down that road and and. Uh, and and suffer like that you know if, if the guy broke in the house with a gun and had the gun at your head you know <laughs> you know that that scenario that's always thrown out all the time and yet and yet what you're saying is jesus is our example of forgive even then well i'm i'm i mean i guess i'm not ready to preach this yet but you're drawing me out <laughs> okay uh we've been taught all our life that uh that Jesus is or was fully God, fully man. Mm -hmm. And and I have a little bit of a difficulty with that. I'm I'm still working through this, okay? I'm not I'm not like saying I'm a hundred percent in this camp or that camp or the other. But there's some things that just don't seem to fit that equation. When a man is tempted, don't say I've been tempted by God because God cannot be tempted. Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Now, here, here's, here's where I trip a little bit. If he was fully God, then how could he be tempted? So I've, I've kind of come up with something for myself, and I know Michael's going to probably shoot all this down. <laughs> <laughs> why would but... I do that, my friend? That's not my job. <laughs> That's not why I'm getting paid the big bucks. Exactly. <laughs> but is it possible that Jesus, who emptied himself and took on no reputation... Is it possible that he was fully man, full of God? Somehow I can I I can work with that, and and in 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 that 
the equation, I say it this way, I believe he is fully man, full of the Godhead of God. If, if it's anything like that, and like I say, I'm still working through this stuff. If it's anything like that, then he now is my example. Correct. Because I'm fully God, fully man, rather, full of God. Yes. Wow. And, and, and I, I, therefore, yes. everything he taught and everything he did, that's my example. I can do that. I can say that. I can live that way. And up to and including forgiving them. You're not going to get any disagreement or pushback from me on any of that, Jim. I, th I think that's spot on. And then that's, that is, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm taking my hand away from the heresy button right now. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, that was actually really good. I, I, I really like that. Um, because that's that's the whole thing. Like our, our all of our good friend uh, Steve Crosby likes to point out all the time is it drives him crazy on how um, people will will so deify Jesus that they they make him almost like no earthly good, like he's not our example anymore. And uh, and, and and I love that that makes it no no no. He's showing because that's the whole thing of him being the way. He's showing us how to live. Well, I think one one reason uh, is is because anything that I don't want to step up to do or be or manifest. I can throw that off on, well, Jesus could do that because he was God. And if I allow that to be my excuse on any level, then I can dismiss the whole cross because he went to the cross as God. That's right. And I, I I can't dismiss that. He wow. went to the cross as a man. God being in him, reconciling the world. And I, it, it, this afternoon I, w I was just uh, meditating on uh, tonight's podcast. And I didn't know for sure what we were going to be talking about. But I had this thought. If God was in Christ reconciling the world and in his death on the cross, he drew all men to himself, then in him all men met God and God met all men in that, Christ in that one action. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's Karl Barth. <laughs> Never wow. met the man. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's Carl Bart. Jim, I'm going to start calling you Carl. <laughs> and my other brother, Carl. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, that that's cool. And and I, I know Michael, you you've been uh, posting videos on Carl Bart right now, and it's it's been really good stuff. No, no way. You've been doing a Baumhofer. I'm sorry. Baumhofer. That's all right. Yeah. I, I, I got it. I always get those two mixed up. I'm really bad about that. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, the the ability uh, uh, of uh, not, not the ability the okay. So so this text, this business of fully human, fully divine. Um, our problem is is as always is we're trying to configure it in metaphysical terms. 
in terms of being, nature, uh, attributes, this, that, what got given up, what wasn't. And, and as you know, I've interpret, I have an interpretation of the Nicene Creed out there, you know, in my book, uh, What I Believe, uh, the, the, the section on God, and I just interpret the Nicene Creed, and I come to the exact same conclusion Jim said, did, and that's that Jesus was a human being fully manifesting the Father as an example for us, because we are hardwired to imitate. And that when we talk about the full divinity and the full humanity, it cannot, cannot, cannot ever be placed in a category that is sui generis all by itself. We too, in death and resurrection of Jesus, are both fully human and in him fully divine as we follow him, just as he's fully divine as he follows the Father. So it has nothing to do with gifts and supernatural, this and that and the other. It has everything to do with the way we relate to each other. And do we relate in a divine manner with humility, kindness, gentleness, hospitality, whatever. Or do we relate in a manner that is caste-oriented, hierarchical, and sacrificial? Yeah, and that's awesome. And, and, and I want to draw one more thing out of you here, Michael, because I love when you tell the, other, the story about the other side of the cross uh, on the resurrection of um, what is the important role now when Jesus rises from the dead? Because let me preface this with this. Every every um, action movie I've ever seen, um, you know, Thor, um, Star Wars, whatever it is, that the hero gets captured. Mm -hmm. He's in the down moment. He looks like he's going to die. It's over. It's done. He breaks mm -hmm. free. He clobbers the bad guys. Yay! You know, Han yes. Solo got free. He threw Boba Fett yeah. into the pit, you know. Um, right. what or Thor, you know, whatever. And yet I, I love what you, what you share about Jesus in the resurrection when he, when he appears before the disciples. Well, you know, what you have there is an event where <clears throat> they're expecting the worst. I mean, the, 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 they had betrayed, they knew what they did. They betrayed him. They denied him. They'd set him up. They fled. They, they didn't support him. And when he comes walking through the wall, all they can think of is, this is it. He hates us. He's going to get us. He's going to be the typical victim that drinks the blood of Abel and seeks, you know, vengeance. And instead, the very first words out of his mouth are these eschatological words, these words of permanence and eternality. Shalom. That's the eschatological word. Shalom. Don't be afraid. Oh, man, wait a minute. That just went against everything that Jim and I were talking about that we go preach out on the, you know, on the street with our tracks. Yeah, right? Yeah, well, you need to be afraid. <laughs> right. No, no, no. The gospel is there is no fear here. Where so Christ good. is present, there is no fear. Wow. And that's the starting point there, because you're saying that's when he resurrected. That's the new beginning. That's the message. Don't be afraid. That's right. the the message The message is: Look at my life. Look at how I cared for you. Look at what I did for you. This is the Father. This is who the Father is. And they're going, and even I mean, even during his life, it's you know, Jesus, look, you know, just show us the Father a little bit. It will suffice. And Jesus is going, Have I been with you so long? 
You know, what are they wanting? They are wanting a father that's vengeful, powerful, angry, vindictive, is, you know, and Jesus is just, wow. he's just, it's, wow. you know, it's like, really? I think every showing of Christ after the resurrection is, is packed with um, just in, in, incredible uh, example to us. Mm -hmm. uh, go and tell my disciples and mm -hmm. Peter mm -hmm. that I've raised. Yeah. Two men on the road to Emmaus, beginning yeah. with Moses and through the prophets, the scriptures yeah. that testify of me. Yes. And then he breaks bread when he gets to the home and their eyes are open. It, yeah. it, it, it's Thomas, you have an issue? Here they are. Here's my hands. Here's my yeah. side. It's like every showing is is the Lord saying, guys, this is different. This is yes. different than you were expecting. Yes. And, and uh, what you said, I think that's probably the saddest scripture possibly in the whole, the whole uh, of, of the Bible. Have I been so long time with you and you still don't get it? Yeah, it is a bit pathetic. Yeah. But, but we're no different. We're no different. You no, know, not at all. Not at all. Wow. I, I just have to say, I'm, I'm just, I love this topic. I love what we just talked about. I, I feel like this was a, I love meatloaf. This was a meatloaf dinner, man. You guys, this, this was, <laughs> this was good stuff. Um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. I, I thought this was really, are we, great uh, we, we can't be out of time. We, we actually are. We're, we, we've yeah. got just a few minutes left. Um, that's uh time flies when you're having fun man this Whoa. this was just so good <laughs> that's what i'm saying so I, i'm ready to go for another hour i mean well, well let's pick it up again next week <laughs> let's, let's do I, I actually figured this one would be part would be two parts so let's let's pick it up next week and and uh right. and, and we'll continue on with the cross because i mean if the cross is the central theme we could never say too much about it agreed Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think not only will we pick it up next week, I think from time to time over the next few uh, or several months, we'll probably come back to this subject. <laughs> How oh, can no you doubt. get away from it? I, yeah. I have How no doubt, doubt about that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I've just got to say this, this, this podcast just showed exactly why I wanted to do this with you guys. Cause, uh, this was two great people to talk about this with, and uh, and I hope all those out there listening, you you picked up on that. That uh, this was just a, a delightful conversation. Really enjoyed it, and uh, um, gave us a lot to chew on over the the next week until we come back again. So, until next time, this is uh, Lauren Rosser and Jim Durkin and Michael Harden signing off, and we'll talk to you all next week. Mm -hmm.